Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive, or if you think like one, and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve extraordinary results. And no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In this episode, I speak with Billy Darcy. Billy is the chief exec of BAI Communications UK. This is a really interesting telecoms company, really focused on on complicated, high-value networks. Um, And uh, we jump in to uh, really how to build solid business foundations. You'll see Billy is a no-nonsense CEO and uh, really wants to create not just hype, but real sustainable, solid foundations for what's a very complex uh, business. So we're going to look into how he makes healthy corporate culture his secret source, and how do you take action when people violate that culture. We also look at what was the secret to Billy's ability to delegate. There was a key event Uh, And I think there's a key learning in that for all of us, how we can actually improve our own uh, delegation skills. Um, And we also look at how do you deal and how do you create impact when there's many slow moving uh, organizations in the picture, such as public sector or large enterprise? And how do you keep people motivated in that complex environment? So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Billy Darcy. Hi there, Billy. Hi there, Richard. Hi, good uh, good to see you. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, more than happy to do so. So I'm uh, yeah looking forward to this because uh, you're somebody who's uh, had some of my, um, you've overlapped in industry, right? You're a telecoms um, executive and I worked for many years in telecoms myself. So I, I know and love the industry. Uh, and now you're doing something quite, quite interesting, I think, at BAI. So... Um, why don't I let you um, just quickly introduce yourself before we then dive into um, really your, your success formula as an executive. So why don't you tell people kind of what you do now and also a, a short uh, pressy of the journey that's got you to where you sure. are at BAI. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, look, um, Billy Darcy is my name, I'm Chief Executive of BAI Communications here in the UK. Um, I, I guess I've spent nearly 30 years in telecommunications as what Richard alluded to. Um, I stumbled into telecommunications at the, at the very start of my career within telecoms and it was almost by accident, but I'm very happy to, that that accident occurred. Um, I was working in my family business at the time. I'm an only son, my four sisters, two older, two younger. I was working uh, in the family business with my father and my mother did say to me one day, um, maybe you should go and try something different. And I was, I was quite good at it uh, at the time, uh, but very glad since, because actually um, I did take her up on her advice. And it was because she said to me that she didn't want for me the life my father had had because he was a workaholic, uh, literally worked every hour and uh, did not have any time at weekends. And she felt there that there's probably a better way. 
And um, I, I uh, at the time, I didn't see it that way, but got into telecoms and it, it literally worked. Um, I remember joining the first organization, actually, the same day as four other people. And I almost felt it was a competitive field there that uh, not all of us were going to be there in a few years time. It was survival of the fittest, afraid to take holidays, but you were literally out there selling uh, to end customers. One of my claims to fame was when I was a young analyst in telecoms, um, I actually got quoted in the Financial Times by saying this whole carrier's carrier, you know, wholesale telecoms business, you know, we've done the analysis and we, there just isn't enough traffic really yeah. to support all of this, all this capacity. And there's going to be, there's going to be some kind of meltdown. And of course I was, yeah, I got my very young, fresh face in the Financial Times because of this. And then, of course, it happened. And I was like, phew, at least what I said actually turned out to be true. Although it was a bit of a shock at the time, as, you, as you're right. It was, and a, huge, come it was a huge and shock at did. the time. And um, 2016, 2017, when in my current role, I now find myself as CEO of BAI Communications. Got it. And tell me a bit more about BAI. BAI. Um, yeah. what, what do you do? Well, I had never, I had never intended leading O2 to join BAI, and I remember um, going to, to meet the group CEO for an interview, and um, I, I went out of a, a large degree of courtesy, actually, uh, and and curiosity. And uh, I remember walking out of the, the interview thinking, "Wow, this is a company I want to work for." And the main reason for that is that. I felt I could be more used to the mobile industry working in the capacity of CEO for BAI communications in the UK with responsibility for, for UK and obviously Europe as a region than just for one mobile operator. Hmm. What we do is uh, we're, um, we're owned by the Canadian pension funds and we uh, design, we build, we operate, we maintain and we fund and we innovate um, infrastructure large infrastructure programs around the world. Uh, some of these are very iconic indeed. Um, we were involved in designing and building the uh, existing communications um, platform in the subway system, the metro environment within Hong Kong, uh, also in New York, also in Toronto. Um, we love the, uh, the concept of creating smart cities. Um, uh, we, we were embracing f uh, 5G uh, and uh, ensuring there that we are able to help mobile operators build out infrastructure that they don't uh, have to build um, themselves, uh, but that they can, we can build out the one set of infrastructure that everybody gets to share. So it's done very fast and it's done with great economics. And we take a long-term view. Um, we are patient in that respect, uh, particularly because of our ownership. And uh, we, we like uh, doing the uh, engineering in very difficult environments. As you can imagine, some of these subway systems uh, are very, very difficult environments in, in their own right. Mm. But it's about uh, connecting communities and connecting people and delivering an, an, a, a customer experience there in places there that uh, it's quite difficult to do mm. uh, in, in, in these environments were it not for organizations like ourselves. Okay, perfect. So. So you, so you've you've had this long career in, in telecoms. You're now chief yeah. exec of BAI Communications in the UK. Um, if you were to look back at that career, and you were to draw out one or one or two key factors that have really driven your impact, mm. uh, you know, in that career, what would they be? 
Well, I, it's, I guess a couple of things, um, Richard, I'd say there that culture is, is really, really important. Okay, and creating a great working culture, doing what you can to influence that culture uh, all the way through your career, actually, being part of the culture, but if, where you have the opportunity to create the culture, like, as I do now, I think that's really important. So, for example, um, in the business that we've created and will continue to create in the UK, uh, we have a culture there that, you know, we're, we're seen as humble, we're hardworking and we're hungry in what we do. And, and these are attributes there that really resonate when uh, customers deal with us, when suppliers deal with us, and when that ecosystem uh, out there works works with us. And that holds as well. Um, I would say- and, and how do you, let me ask, how do you take those, those, um, those words and kind of actually turn them into culture? What have you found has worked for you? Yeah, well, it, it can be literally uh, around the, the how you communicate and the tonality of your proposals that you send to customers, how you communicate over the phone with them, how you communicate over email with them. It can be uh, around how you uh, how people join your business and how people exit your business, because both both happen. Um, and it's getting the right dynamic within that environment, and it's recruiting for attitude as opposed to skill. Skills can be taught. Okay, attitude is much more difficult, and it's ensuring there that you're, you're recruiting great, great people with the right attitude there that have many of those ingredients, maybe not all of them, but actually have the ability there to embrace all of them. Yeah, and, and what happens, therefore, if you do find you've recruited somebody who's not, you know, hardworking and hungry and humble, you know, what, what, what do you do if you see that? Well, certainly you'd look to uh, address it uh, in, in a way where you, you, know, you get to understand, they get to understand the, the benefits of, of uh, operating within a culture like that and actually what it would take for them to, to, uh, to um, uh, I guess, embrace that in the event that they can't, right? Uh, there's, there's no point in an organization in one individual uh, creating a separate culture. Uh, mm. and, and actually uh, oftentimes the culture that they want if, it, if it's very far apart from the culture you created, I'm sure that culture is going to be uh, more valuable to another organization mm. and that person would need to move on at that stage. Because as I, as I go back to, it's about getting the right people with the right attitude as opposed to compromising. And just, um, it's no point in having somebody who's really great at their job, but with the wrong attitude in place yeah. because it impacts other people. And, and so when we're talking here about this kind of success factors, um, you, so you feel that you, in your different roles, you've always had this gift of creating culture. Would you say that's been one of your? I, I, I would, and it, it, it comes. Well, it comes back to the fact that I enjoy uh, the company of people, uh, and and what makes people tick, and um, uh, always trying to see what what is it that we can do, I can do to 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 improve things and, and make things better. Um, I one of the other points I'd like to draw out, Richard, is the fact that I think delegation is really important as well. And um, as my own role has grown, my own areas of responsibility, I wasn't always great at delegation. I wanted to be involved in every every meeting, in, in, in on every um, phone call, and, and every event. And uh, it's really impossible to do that in a very effective way. So how do you get over that? A lot of people, a lot of people struggle with that, right? A huge number of my clients yeah. Um, yeah, struggle with that because they're very good at what they do and they can add value in any circumstance. Um, yeah. So what's the mental barrier you had to get over or what was the, you know, is there a technique, just like one really concrete, um, you know, strategy that somebody might be able to employ either well, in their own yeah, mind or. or, I, or I'd like to say that it was something there that I just did automatically myself and I didn't. 
I mean, what actually happened was um, my wife, who I've been married to for nearly 30 years, she got very ill a few years ago. And it meant there that actually I spent more, I had to spend more time, I wanted to spend more time with her as she re recovered and went through significant treatment. What that meant was that I actually had to rely much more on my own team and let go and actually um, get them used to doing meetings and events and mm. really important stuff that actually I probably would have done naturally myself. And what it right. meant was, so it was that forced upon you. it was forced upon it you. It was forced upon me. And the big learning for me was that I wish I'd learned to do it much earlier on in my career, okay? Right. Because I now see the value of it. And it's, uh, it's, it's hugely impactful because it meant there that my own team of direct reports became more skilled. They, they enjoyed their job more. And actually, let's face it, they were too busy uh, doing all this stuff to go out looking for another job somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was very, very important. But it was a huge lesson, lesson to me. And I, I know that from time to time I get involved in mentoring people. And I do mention the power of delegation and ensuring there that you, you're not afraid to let go. Hello, it's Richard here with a quick interlude. These conversations are all about upgrading how you think about creating impact. So here's a resource to help you do just that whilst staying fast and focused. The CEO's checklist for challenging times is a quick way to enhance your thinking and detect blind spots, even when things are moving incredibly fast and you're not sure what's going to happen next. You can get this powerful checklist of 17 world-class strategies by heading to xquadrant.com forward slash go forward slash challenging times checklist with a hyphen between each of those three last words. Now, back to the conversation. Well, one insight that, that I have on this, and actually it's, it's a speciality area of mine as I work with execs on, often I say on this issue at that level, uh, I actually often say, like, don't try to clear space in your diary because it won't work, right? Actually put more important things in your diary Right. And so caring for your wife was a more important thing and it forced the other stuff out. Right. Yeah. But it's very hard to do that. Well, you don't know hard. what you're going to what we don't yeah. know what you're going to replace that time with. What are you going to do with that time that you free up? But, you, you know, for you, it was like, well, I've got to get this big rock into my diary. So that all this yeah. water is going to have to flow out somewhere else. Right. That's right. Well, I mean, one, one other thing I would add to this uh, that makes it easier for people to maybe uh, test and try this out. Uh, one of the rules that I've, uh, I've adopted over the, the last number of years is I, I really only go to meetings that can't start without me. And if there's a meeting there that I feel it doesn't really need me, well, then I shouldn't go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it frees up a lot of time and effort. And, and also when, when uh, understanding who you want with you in a meeting that uh, you know, needs you there, ensuring there that the people you bring along with you are going to be able to add value. Uh, very, very important to them, very important to the out outcome of, of an output um, of, of a quality meeting time. Uh, so it's just, uh, just a couple of rules of thumb there that you, I naturally now remind myself of from time to time. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, I love that. So what's the, so if you were this, you're this people person, um, you know, you build cultures, you delegate, you empower, What's been the dark side, right? There's always something, you know, all our strength is always a bit of a dark side as well. So what have you had to, um, you know, what's caused you to be held back, right? Or what's caused you perhaps to stumble on occasion? I think it's always good just to kind of look at the flip side yeah, of this. And, yeah, that's right. I mean, when, so when I ran the enterprise side of uh, the business for one of the M&O's mobile network operators, as I mentioned, 
um, we had what we described as a public sector business. And, um, you know, it was, we had very low market share positioning. And what I noticed there was that uh, we were uh, through managers that I had working with me and, and uh, salespeople, we were putting people into the wrong roles, mm. putting people that were classified as perhaps poor performers, maybe not suitable for the job that they were um, you know, set up to do into what was described as the public sector part of our business. And um, it felt to me that that was wrong. And actually in order to really accelerate and, and do things differently, um, we should be looking at putting our best people in there. Uh, and and it's, it was almost like, you, some might describe it as a, a bit of a social experiment, but it really worked very well. Uh, and um, it meant there that we uh, re-energized a particular area, which I wasn't proud of. I mean, I, I, I was very, very, um, let's say, irritated by the, the fact that we kept doing, I kept responding to, to tenders, to, to bids, um, in a private sector type of way, uh, mm. into the public sector, expecting a positive result. That was never going to happen, right? right. Uh, and, and we needed to be much more respectful of the nuances that exist within the public sector as opposed to the private sector, because they procure in a very different way. They've got a, a very a different people um, in, in terms of how they operate, uh, in terms of processes and compliance and all of those things that actually yeah. uh, come with ensuring there that they get the right results. And you have to be cognizant and respectful of that. And especially, you know, especially if you're somebody who's come up being kind of grown up in, um, you know, in a, in a private sector company, and especially if you're somebody who's kind of ambitious and you're getting and can go quite fast, yeah. then public sector can be enormously frustrating, right? It's, they move, they're huge and they can have huge impact when they move, but it can take a while, sometimes a long while for them to move. You get it, that's right, Richard. It's, it's, you need to be prepared to play the long game, which is why many startup organizations don't tend to um, set up businesses targeting the public sector because yeah. it, it um, it's not very attractive oftentimes for investors whereas and, more and mature businesses do yeah yeah well and exactly so often it's like the, the big players get to play with the other big players and i think mm -hmm. the same is actually true in telecoms in many ways um you know a lot of startups tech startups do struggle when they're trying to sell into large telcos not always right because there is that innovation side there that they're interested in but you know if you're waiting on your cash flow um for large telcos to kind of come around and deploy at scale you know you might well go bankrupt before they do it um and so it's not only a public sector uh, thing as you said it's it's but it is this question of how how do you um motivate your team and keep them in the game when they are playing with these slow moving giants yeah um uh who do play by different rules so what have you found you know is a way of actually keeping the team engaged and motivated because i guess now even with you know in your current role you have these very large infrastructure projects they may well take time and they're all kind of all or nothing as well That's so right. how they, do you kind of yeah. maintain mo mo motivation well they are very binary you're right and they do take time um, keeping people engaged is about, uh, around ensuring there that they have a value in what they do every day that they're involved in your business, that they feel engaged. For example, during lockdown, uh, when lockdown happened with COVID, and we're certainly not out of it, we're back into that period of time, 
one of the first things that I, that I decided to do is to do um, daily calls with um, all hands calls with the team to ensure there that actually people felt they had a voice, uh, that if there was anything came up, that they uh, had an opportunity to, to raise it on a daily basis. It gave people bookends and a structure there that they may not have been used to because many people are not used to working remotely mm. uh, and, and actually have only ever worked in an office environment. And it's to ensure there that that collaborative way of working continued as opposed to being cast out uh, on your own in a silo, uh, which wasn't going to be very productive. I've personally found that our productivity increased during the lockdown period as opposed mm. to uh, set us back. So from that point of view, it's very important. And then also making sure there that actually uh, hierarchically within an organization, you don't create a hierarchy that actually um, stops or impinges people in actually engaging with you and, and, and holding you back. So it's not unusual there that man managers, uh, mine and, and myself, we would uh, you know do these all hands calls, but we would also welcome views from people after these calls, after these events, because not everybody wants to talk in an open forum. Uh, and, and that's at all levels of the organization. Um, it's, uh, it, it's very, very important that not, not only do I and, and others work up within our organizations, but we all work, always work down as well and win hearts and minds of the, because they're the people that make the difference for us. They're, they're the front yeah. line for us. They're mm. the people that are out with our customers. If we don't get customers, we don't get revenue. We don't get revenue, we don't get paid, right? Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, it, I have a huge, deep respect for the front line um, uh, and, and the operations um, areas of, of, of any organization. In fact, I go as far as to say that when you look at salespeople and, and sales organizations, it's fair to say that they're the most measurable and most fireable mm. and most vulnerable people in any organization because it's very binary. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so how do you, you know, what, what have been your habits, right? You know, success is often built upon habits. Mm. So what are the habits that have contributed to your success? Um, you know, what are the kind of things that you just do habitually that perhaps not every leader does do? Um, well, I'm, I'm probably known as somebody who's fairly direct uh, that I say what's on my mind. Um, I have, uh, I, I look for uh, trust, loyalty and respect, which is bilateral. Uh, between me and anybody that's in, in, in engaged or involved in, in, in the company. And uh, that's very, very important that those elements uh, aren't compromised, but we build upon them. And um, it's encouraging their, their focus and watching out for uh, when we're tempted to take on more than we should. There's a real power in deciding what not to do as opposed to assuming that you have to do everything. And, and, and um, you know, if, having, having the power to say no is, is very, very important. The other, the other point we're uh, bringing out would be uh, in organizations, and I've seen it myself, I may have been somebody who, who, who did this myself. Um, it's about bad news. And, and in any organization you work in, there will be good news and there'll be bad news. There'll be good days, there'll be bad days. Yeah. But it's about getting the, the, the good news out fast, but the bad news out even faster. And, and looking for help uh, when, when things don't always go your way. Because actually, uh, I, I have noticed as my own career has changed there that I'm hugely receptive to people there that actually reach out for help in a very, very honest way. But I also discovered as well during my own career there that uh, I too found that when I was reaching out for people far more senior than myself for help, uh, that's when I found the most engaged 
uh, as such, rather than try and hide that away, just ask for the help as you as you go through. Right. And you can be oftentimes very pleasantly surprised at the reaction. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great point that um, often when we feel vulnerable, we might actually reject help because we feel we're kind of uh, not on solid ground and we don't want to yeah. open it up. But actually, um, when we do, uh, actually the support comes and we actually, you know, we nail I, I it. Right? As far we, as to say, it's a real strength, Richard, for anybody who can do that and be brave enough uh, mm. to demonstrate there that, you know, they don't see it as a weakness. Um, we, we're uh, putting the roles that we're in in order to um, grow businesses, make businesses successful. We can't do that if we don't know what's really happening. Yeah, yeah, love it. So let's sort of shift and think about the future. Um, and this is where I like to kind of play a little bit because, you know, we've kind of, we've get, we get to a certain level and it's already a pretty impressive level, right? Uh, you're the CEO uh, in the UK, but there's always the next level to get to. And that's what already fascinates me about high-performing leaders. It's like, um, you know, we always have a choice. Do we kind of stay where we are and, and coast in, you know, uh, or do we find out where's the next level? So, so how would you love to multiply your impact, Billy, in, in the coming months or coming years? What would that look like for you? Well, before I answer that, I mean, I, I, I guess it's fair to say, and I really do believe this, that there's always somebody better than you out there. You just have to hope your boss never finds them or you give your boss <laughs> a cause to look for them, right? Uh, but, um, and it's a competitive world out there. So uh, I would say that um, I'm very, very focused on, on delivering and building uh, out what we um, uh, contract. And, and uh, to that end, I my natural inclination is to spend as much time as I possibly can with customers um, and and uh, that I don't want to change dramatically but I do know there that I'm going to have to spend much more time on operations uh, and, and I welcome that and, and I look forward to that uh, ultimately you know I I would see there that um, every CEO will have their shelf life uh, as I re referenced earlier on or referred to um, I can see a time whereby it's it's time and it's right for our business there to to look at um, somebody else to take the business to the next level. Do I think that's it now? No, I don't. Um, I can I can see certainly the next four or five years, uh, and and uh, as we d deliver exceptional quality networks in the business that we're in right now. Um, but you know what I do want to do is ensure there that I can look back and say I made a difference. And that actually the, the user experience, customer experience is such that it may not have happened without the business that we created and that I was part of. And that would give me great satisfaction. And also ensuring there that uh, all the way through, we've developed great people there that when it comes to succession, that um, I've been part of that as well. And I've brought talent into the business that can actually do what I do and mm. do it differently and do it better. I think one thing really comes through with you, Billy, is this kind of no bullshit, you know, you see what you get, kind of, um, you get what you see kind of attitude. In other words, I get the impression that you're somebody that really builds on authenticity, if I say it like that, that, yeah. um, that you know, you're building these layers of trust and respect and in collaboration and um, playing, sometimes it's a long game, right? You know, making sure that these things are there. So you build something solid. I think that solidity is something that comes through from your style. It's, you're probably right, Richard, and uh, I, I do um, like to believe there that people should just be themselves. And uh, again, I probably found it out the hard way. Uh, I remember coming over to the UK business 
and uh, watching in awe as some people did absolutely amazing presentations in front of huge audiences and thinking, I wish I could be as, as, as polished and, and good at that as they were. And as you try to maybe change and look at, at copying them, it's actually probably not the best thing to do, but be yourself. And I found when I was myself and I was doing it the way I would just naturally do it, it's much more effective and impactful. Uh, came across much more honest and, and the audience is far more engaged. So um, to that point, I, I, I would say it, it, it's reflective of the comment that you just made. Yeah, mm. yeah nice. Um, and so if people want to find out a bit more about you, Billy, or about BAI, where, where should they go? How can they get in touch? Well, uh, everybody has a website these days. And uh, I mean, the first thing I normally do would be to actually look at the news columns and uh, just in terms of if I Google anybody or whatever, and mm. uh, company individuals. Um, we are a business, by the way, that is expanding. And uh, we, we are always looking for uh, great talent uh, to come into our business. And um, I, so I, I, I welcome uh, people's interest in that regard. Uh, but yeah, we, we're in a very newsworthy sector. Uh, it's a growing sector, lots of excitement around 5G and what that's going to bring. Uh, the role that we play in that space globally, and certainly the role that we've been playing in the UK going forward, is such there that um, I, we hope to be creating the, the right headlines. So um, certainly, uh, on, on, you, know, you can find out much more about us, both on the website, but also uh, internet search. Okay. Perfect. Well, hey, Billy, it's been great speaking. Um, thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure to kind of just dive into a bit about your story and um, what's got you to where you are. So thank you. Uh, no problem at all. I've very much enjoyed that. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level. If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.